I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, as we are continuing to go through the entire book of Matthew, uh, that we have called Your Kingdom Come. Uh, and this, uh, this month we've been going through chapter 10. Uh, the first week we talked about the why of the mission. And we went back into chapter 9 where uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says Jesus saw the crowds of people that are coming to him. He's performing these miracles and it says Jesus was filled with love and compassion uh, for the people. And he looked at the disciples and he said, pray for the laborers because the fields are ripe unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And then I love chapter 10 because he goes, oh, by the way, you're the laborers. And the same is true for you and myself. Uh, if you know Christ, if you're here this evening and you know uh, what it means to have Jesus, the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, uh, you are in the same place. Uh, meaning that uh, we are to pray for the laborers, we are to pray for the harvest, but also you are the laborers, you are to go out and, and reap in the harvest. And so the first week we were in chapter 10, we talked about the why of the mission. Why do we do this? And, and simply put, it's because people need the Lord. Uh, people need the gospel. We talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves uh, every day, that why we need God every day, why we need Jesus every day. And if that's how we see God, if that is how we see Jesus, that we need them every day, how are we then sharing with others, the why of the mission. Secondly, last week we talked about the urgency of the mission. And Jesus is saying, don't bother bringing extra money, don't pack an extra shirt, don't bring this, don't bring extra of anything, just go. Just go. Go out on mission. Go and, and tell people about the kingdom of God. And tonight we're going to be talking about the cost of the mission. The cost of the mission. But before we start, which I know what you're thinking, I thought we already did. Before we start, I want to just uh, take a moment and prepare our hearts for this evening's message. And here's what I want you to do. Two weeks ago, we talked about what we call our discipleship chart here at Hope Church. Discipleship is very simply helping someone grow one step closer in the relationship with God. And so this is just a visual reminder of what that looks like. Um, so where the cross is, we would say that is the point where someone uh, comes to the realization that they are a sinner, that they are separated from God, and they understand that God in his love sent his son Christ to die for us, taking our punishment on his shoulders. When he died, he brought our sin with him to the grave, and when he rose again, he left our sins there, and he defeated death. So that when we make Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, that's what we mean, is you now have forgiveness of sins. You now have a Savior and a hope, and you will be life-changing. And so anything before somebody comes to that point of knowing Christ, that's what we see before the cross. We call that evangelism. That is just going and bringing the good news of the gospel to those that don't know it. The gospel is simply the good news that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. Anything after that we call pursuing holiness. 
We are told, be holy for I am holy. And so uh, if you're anything like me, you're not holy. And so it is a consistent and constant work in your life of understanding who Jesus is, understanding who I am, understanding the need to uh, confess and repent daily, understanding, uh, I love David in Psalm 103 who says, thank you for not treating me as my sins deserve, but I'm constantly wanting to grow in him. And so how do we uh, help each other grow. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together, but continue to help. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron. And so that's what we see, that pursuing holiness aspect of it. But part of this is, uh, if you've been in church for a while, um, we like to pick and choose what we like. You know what I like? Getting together with friends and talking about the Bible. So community groups works for me. You know what I don't like? going out in public and telling people that they need Jesus. So I'll focus on the aspect of discipleship that is comfortable for me, and somebody else will go do the other stuff. What Jesus is telling his disciples is part of discipleship is being pushed out. Uh, I love, I should have looked it up, uh, the one bird who the mom will just eventually just push him out of the nest. Like, hey, you got to learn to fly. And that's how I think sometimes churches none here um, can be is we are very comfortable in the nest and all of a sudden the baby bird is 36 years old and he hasn't left the nest yet and no one's pushing him out so here the disciples have and i want you to understand the context the disciples have seen jesus performing miracle after miracle after miracle they understand who jesus is and that when he is representing the kingdom of god he is returning these things back to how he originally created them before sin to demonstrate his power. And then he says, pray for the laborers in the harvest. And we do the same thing. You know what? I'll put missionary cards up on my fridge and I will pray for them. And then he says, and now you go out. And we're like, no, I'm just going to keep praying for the missionaries. I'll give money if I have to, but I really like that whole praying at home part. But part of it is getting pushed out and doing, going out on mission, going out into the uncomfortable part. And so all of that to say, what I want you to do right now, to hopefully make this a little bit more personal tonight, is I'm going to ask you again to go silently in prayer before God and ask one question. God, who is the one person that I know that you want me to talk to this week? Not about March Madness, but who is the one person that you want me to share the gospel with this week? Who's the one person that you want me to talk to? So we're going to go silently in a prayer, and I want you to ask God, who do you want me to talk to this week? Who do you want me to have a gospel conversation with this week? So go to prayer. Lord, I pray tonight that you would put on our minds who you want us to talk to. Maybe it's the next text message we get. We know that's who you want us to. Maybe we already know who it was. Maybe we knew who it was before we even walked in here tonight. Maybe it's somebody that's been in our heart for a week. But Lord, I pray that tonight we would take your word and be able to apply it to ourselves personally. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm hoping and praying that you, all of you have somebody that God has put on your mind. And I want you to think through as we walk through this passage, how are you going to take that step of faith this week with that person? 
How are you going to step out and do something that maybe you've never done before? Maybe you've already had several conversations before. The question I want to also bring to your mind is, what are the things in your life that cause an emotional response? Um, I've shared the story before, but when we were going get ready to go to this church planting assessment, so you, you have to do all of this paperwork for months in advance before you go for a couple days, and there's these other pastors and church planners and professionals who uh, go through all of your paperwork and to let you know, hey, these are areas that you're strong in, these are areas you need to work in. Um, and I remember the one question that stood out was, when was the last time you shared the gospel with an unsaved person? And I ended up crying. I was on, I was at the time an elder at a church and had been the church planning resident for a year, and I had to write down, I think it was five years. And I thought, what business do I have going into ministry if it's been that long since I shared who Jesus is to me with somebody that doesn't know him? Um, I just want to be very upfront. Everyone thinks, um, if you don't know me, I'm Rob, and I am an extreme extrovert, like possibly the most extreme extrovert you will ever meet in your life. Uh, and it's an assumption that that means it's very easy for me to talk to people, but as an extreme extrovert, I want people to like me. Like I am like, in a lot of ways, a golden retriever. Like I'll pick out the one person who doesn't like me and I will work so hard at getting them to like me to the point where it's annoying. Which means that having gospel conversations is actually very difficult for me. It is not a, evangelism is not a gift of mine. Uh, it is not something that comes naturally for me. Um, and so over with that question I had to ask myself, I had to also ask myself, do I actually love Jesus enough to tell other people about him? Or is it just something that I want to keep to myself because pe more people might like me? Well, I cried, and it still bothers me. I get emotional when I still talk about it. And so I want to ask you the question, what causes an emotional response to you? Uh, that person that's on your mind, have you ever shed tears because you can't imagine what it would be like with your relationship with God for somebody to go through life without a relationship with a Savior, without a hope, without love, without forgiveness, and it, and it breaks you. So what causes an emotional response in your life? Is there an emotional response when you think of your friends who don't know Christ? So in this passage tonight, Jesus is uh, presenting arguments that the disciples or you and I and everybody in between and the people that follow us will have. I love when Jesus does this because he'll say, he'll give a command, but he also knows what you're thinking. And so he'll give you the answer to your question that you haven't asked yet. And so we see this a lot in scripture. We always say when you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. But a lot of the time when you see a therefore in scripture, uh, it is also a presentation of an argument. Paul uses this a lot, especially in Romans. Here's the argument. Therefore, this is how you live. And this is what we're going to see Jesus doing as we read through this passage, is he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I know what you're thinking, and I'll answer that question. And then, therefore, this is what you do in response. And it's not a fun passage. In fact, the entirety of chapter 10 uh, is not a fun passage. It's, it's a very difficult passage. It is just one speech. Um, and so I want you to know it's been difficult studying and, and, and going through this, uh, as I said at the, at the beginning. And so we're going to dive in 
Uh, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. But the two big overarching themes is being on mission is not easy. And Jesus is fully aware. Being on mission is not easy, but Jesus also knows and is trying to communicate, but it is completely worth it. But he's also letting them know if you're trying to do it under your own strength, you will wear out. And he also knows that there are always excuses to not carry out the mission. And if we're going to boil it down, and I'm getting to the end of the message at the beginning, what it really boils down to is uh, the things we care about and the things we love are either misplaced or done incorrectly. So simply, we care and we love incorrectly. So join with me, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. Jesus continues, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So like I said, not a fun passage. Not a... uh, Light, fun, everybody's smiling as we walk out tonight, passage. So let's go back, and I just want to walk through this. Um, I'd like to say quickly, but we all know that's not going to happen. So if we go back, verses 16 through 18, the first thing he says is, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Remember what I said, he's letting them know this is not easy. Living on mission is not easy. So he's letting them know you are innocent sheep and wolves really like eating sheep because sheep have very little self-defense mechanisms and they're unbelievably stupid. I think I cover that pretty regularly. In case you don't know, sheep are dumb. 
So he's saying, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This won't be easy. Then he says, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That probably doesn't mean a lot to us in our culture, but at the time, snakes were viewed to be very, very wise. Um, they knew how to survive, and it was also, snakes were also very manipulative. Uh, same thing at that time, doves were idiots. Uh, doves are dumb birds. They're not smart. Uh, kind of like the airborne sheep, if you will. I just, I just, I just, I just made that up, so I'll write that down. Doves are airborne sheep. But he wants them to know to be innocent, not naive. Be innocent to what's happening. Uh, don't be manipulative like the snake, but rather be wise like a snake, but also operate in innocence as a dove. Be loving, not condemning. Learn how to balance your life and how you represent Jesus so that you are aware, but also that you are living innocently. Then he goes on, verse 17, be on your guard. There is a battle going on. Uh, I want to turn to Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Paul is writing, and this is, uh, you may know this is the armor of God, and Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, underline this verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul is in the same boat as you. Paul needed prayer in order to go out. He also needed the Holy Spirit to speak through him, but he wants us to know uh, when what Jesus is telling the disciples here is to be on guard, be ready, be aware. The amount of times we are told to be sober-minded, to be alert, be aware. First Peter says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. Going back to Genesis chapter 4, God tells Cain, be careful, Satan is creeping at your doorstep, waiting for an opportunity to tempt you. So be on your guard. Know that this is much bigger than you think. That there is a spiritual battle that's going on, and you are not to operate in a, a naive way, but just innocent. Represent God. Represent Jesus. Operate like Jesus. Because he tells them, you're going to be standing in front of, and it's, 
not really funny, but he's saying, like, just be on your guard. By the way, you're going to be beaten in the synagogues. You're going to be kicked out. You're going to stand before Roman officials who will have you executed quickly. Then we get into verse 19 and 20. He says, on my account, sorry, that's 18, 19, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Notice he doesn't promise them safety. He doesn't promise that they'll never be hurt. If we look at the rest of Scripture, he lets them know nothing will happen outside of my control. So when this happens to you, it's okay. I know. He says, don't worry, I, the Spirit of the Lord will give you what to say. I don't have time but write these passages down because in 19 and 20, he is giving the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is letting them know this doesn't rely on you. You're going to find yourself in situations. And just as Paul says in Ephesians 6, pray that I would be given the words to say. Paul was unbelievably educated at that time before he even came to know Christ, but he doesn't rely on his education. He relies on people praying for him that the Holy Spirit would give him what to say at that time. And in John 14, 15 through 21, and John 15, 26 through 16, 20, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, I'm sending you an advocate. I'm sending you a helper. It's going to be him operating through you. Please understand, if you take nothing else away tonight, the promise of the Holy Spirit that you receive when you know Jesus should be the most encouraging thing that you have heard this year. It is Jesus letting us know, I know you. I know you so well, Rob, that you need the Holy Spirit. Uh, kind of a joke I use when people ask me, like, how did your church get up and running? I was like, well, God took one look at me and said, wow, he needs a lot of help. And he sent an incredible team of people. But more than that, he sent the Holy Spirit to operate in a team of people. But that Holy Spirit that we see uh, working in the disciples' lives and guiding them. Again, they went from, uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, fishermen and these different people who were looked down on in their communities and the Romans had no use for them to people that literally turned the world upside down, not because of them, but because of them allowing the Holy Spirit to operate through them. The entire book of Acts is showing that these disciples who we kind of wrote off as angry or, or whatever it was, turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This promise of the Holy Spirit should cause such joy and freedom in our everyday life. I always think of Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, and this is kind of my paraphrase. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit like a drunk is controlled by alcohol. My past is working with people in addictions. Their addiction controls their life. Their addiction controls their decision-making process. And in Ephesians 5, we are told, be controlled by the Spirit in that way. Be controlled by the Spirit that people know there is something different. Their decision-making process is different. They operate in life for a different reason, and people take notice. Please remember, and I think I said this last week, the God of the universe, the God that has existed for eternity past and eternity forward, Jesus, who has existed from eternity past to eternity forward, the Holy Spirit that has existed from eternity past to eternity forward, 
they haven't lost any power. The power that they've had, they will always have. The Holy Spirit who operated, uh, what we read of in the Scriptures, is the same Holy Spirit that we rely on today. The power of the Holy Spirit is alive. The problem is, we just aren't good at listening. We just don't practice, and I use the word practice very specifically, we don't practice relying on the Holy Spirit. We don't put it into practice. We make logical choices most of the time. Uh, We busy our lives up so much that hearing from the Holy Spirit sounds like something crazy people do at church. We don't spend time in God's Word. We don't spend time meditating. We don't spend time resting in Him, which we'll talk about in chapter 11. We just don't practice relying on the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. When we think that there are other things more powerful in our lives than the Holy Spirit, it tells us what we truly worship. We just don't practice relying on the Holy Spirit. The exercise we did at the very beginning, God, tell me one person that you want me to talk to this week. What if we prayed that every day? God, who's the person you want me to talk to today? Lord, help me recognize the person you're bringing into my life today to have a gospel conversation with. So how are you relying on the Holy Spirit? How are you putting that into practice in your life? Again, this is such an enormous promise. It is such an intimate, loving thing that God does when he says, I know you so well that I know you need the Holy Spirit. I know that you can't do this under your own power, that you have to rely on the Holy Spirit because I made you and I love you. I love you so much I sent my son for you. But I also know that you need help in your daily walk with life. So how do we rely on that promise? Let's read verses 21 through 25. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This sounds like something that was done a long time ago. It sounds like something that we hear stories about. This is done every day for the gospel. Brother betraying brother. Children letting the government officials or the religious officials know their parents are followers of Jesus and they are executed. Uh, This is not something that happened a long time ago. This is something that happens every day today and not just in another country. Um, He wasn't killed, but I have a very good friend um, in Virginia. And uh, his parents had moved here to the country before he was born. And he went to law school and he came home from break on law school. His parents picked him up at the airport. And he got in the car and he says, Mom and Dad, there's something very important that you need to know. I am now decided to follow Jesus. His parents pulled back into the airport and dropped him back off and took all of his money and all of his credit cards for they were paying for his school, they were doing all of that. And they said, we will never talk to you again. And that was it. So these are things that are still happening today. We'll talk more about it next week. 
But for verses 21 through 25, and I don't mean it in a funny way, but Jesus wants his disciples to know, haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. If you follow Christ, the world will hate you. Jesus wanted them to know that this is not a surprise. Uh, Mark 13, 13, he tells the disciples, the world will hate you because of me. The world will hate you because it hated me. In 1 Peter 12 through 19, uh, I love the words Peter uses, and again, you see Peter, uh, he goes from the guy chopping a dude's ear off in the garden of Gethsemane uh, to the guy that says, hey, by the way, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that is to try you. Don't be surprised at persecution. It happens. This is what he's writing shortly before he is crucified upside down and how he would die. Saying it's not a surprise. The world hated Jesus, and so if you're following him, it will hate you. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times, myself included, we get caught up in thinking, well, if we can show the world that Christians are pretty cool, then they'll also love Jesus. So I have to focus on appearing cool. Remember that whole extreme extrovert thing? I have to get people to like me because then they'll like Jesus. No. Jesus is much easier to love than me. How do I show them Jesus? How do I stop worrying about what people that don't know him think of me? James 4, 4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Our goal is not to be friends with the world. Now, also, um, please understand, that doesn't give you a license to be super annoying. It doesn't give you a license to be super condemning. It doesn't give you a license to be self-righteous. It doesn't, those are not how Jesus operate. We operate like Jesus does. We love and we are compassionate. We seek peace. We care for. And that's just it is Jesus loved everyone and they murdered him. His followers loved the unlovable and they were killed and fed to lions and lit on fire. And even today, they are stoned to death. They are publicly executed. They are publicly humiliated. Why? Because they love people as Jesus loves them. Now, verse 25, where he talks about uh, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you, I'm sorry, I dropped down. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, which is the devil, how much more the members of his household? And this is Jesus referring to the Pharisees saying, well, Jesus is doing all these incredible miracles because he's Satan. And that's how he's doing them. And so therefore his followers are Satan. So Jesus said, just know if that's who they think I am and you are my disciples, they're associating you with me and that's actually a really good thing. And so this verse 25 should actually be encouragement to us. It should be encouraging that we are associated with Christ. In fact, there is nothing greater than to be associated with Christ when we are living like him. And then verse 26 through 33 so do not be afraid of them. I love that. It reminds me of, um, where's Derek? When Derek was in the process of moving here, him and his family moving here, he, we would talk to each other pretty regularly. I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty anxious. You know, we're waiting for this paperwork. Or we're waiting for this. We're waiting for this. And I would just be like, hey, Derek, don't worry. There, are you better? Is all the worry and fear gone now? I said it. Don't worry. And I feel like that's how uh, this could come across with Jesus. He's like, by the way, you're going to go out. And they're like, yes. 
He's like, and I'm in control of everything. And they're like, yes. And he's like, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And they're like, I'm in. He's like, and you're going to be arrested, and you're going to be beaten, and you're going to be put to death. Don't worry. I'm going to have the Holy Spirit tell you what to say. And they're like, oh. And then he's saying, and by the way, like, brother's going to be against brother. Parents are going to have their parents killed, and this and this and this. And, uh, and you're going to be associated with me, and they all think I'm Satan, and so they're going to hate you. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. So he says, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. What that means is right at this point, Jesus has not revealed himself as the Messiah to the world. And so Jesus is giving them these teachable lessons that we see throughout the Gospels as he's walking with his disciples, and he's telling them. And you remember, he does a, he'll heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody that I just had your hand grow back. And they're like, okay. And they walk outside the house and they're like, this dude just healed my hand. And he makes somebody who is blind be able to see and he goes, don't tell anyone. And he's like, right, I can see. So what he's telling them in secret here, the disciples, he's saying after, basically after I'm gone, proclaim it from the rooftops. Tell everybody that you run into that I am the Messiah. And so that's the command to us. We have hopefully, if you know Christ, you have seen him do incredible things in your life. Proclaim it from the rooftops. Speak in the daylight. He says, then again, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, and this is where it gets very serious, rather be afraid of the one, one being capitalized, meaning God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We'll continue on in a moment. Please understand, fear is always an option. The biggest thing holding us back from sharing Christ with others, from inviting people into our homes, from telling people why we love Christ, from inviting people to church, is that we fear people more than we fear God. So what do you fear? Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, write that down, text me, I'll get it. It's a great book. I encourage everyone to read it. He says, however you put it, the fear of man can be summarized this way. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. Fear is always an option. Fear is the thing that controls us. In fact, what if we started asking ourselves and we answered honestly about our walk with God? I think if we were really honest, we would realize that fear of what people think controls our walk with God. Why don't you have time to spend time with God? And every group and myself, very guilty of this, we, in our community group, hey, how can, uh, how can we continue to grow? Well, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to uh, meditate more. I need to do this, this. Okay, how are we going to do it differently this week? Well, this week I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the next week we get together. Did we do it? No. No, this came up. That happened. This happened. I had to be on time for this. And I didn't. Uh, we mentioned all the time, like, how do you actually schedule time with God and do you hold to it? No, I usually end up meeting with somebody else. This is me talking. So fear controls our 
schedule. There was a Puritan preacher back in the 1600s, 1700s named William Gurnall, and he says, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. One, fewer, one fear cures another. When man's terror scares you, turn your thoughts to the wrath of God. We don't talk about it a lot. Uh, we don't talk about it. Maybe it's how I was brought up being, uh, I tell people I got saved because I had the hell scared out of me. Because all they did was talk about dying and going to hell. You're going to die and go to hell. You're going to die and go to hell. And, and so I, ha- I wanted to get saved. I wanted to know Christ. I did not want to go to hell. And now I know Jesus in a way of the joy and the peace and the comfort that come in knowing him, that the things I've walked through so far in my life, and hopefully I have a lot more to go through, I can rely on him guiding me. When I'm anxious, I can rely on him. When I'm scared, I can rely on him. But that's what I want people to know about Jesus is the peace, joy, forgiveness, love, patience, and long-suffering of Jesus and knowing him. I don't want to scare them into thinking that when they die, if they don't know him, they will spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. But here Jesus is letting them know the reality of that situation. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's, we talked about that last week, that judgment is coming. And that's a reality that we have to face, that hell is real. It is a real place. And again, if nothing else has brought you to tears thinking about your friends that don't know him, prayerfully that will. Contrast that with what it would look like if we believed God and we took him at his word. If when God said, do this, we actually just did it. One of my favorite people to quote, Leonard Ravenhill, who died in his 90s back in like 1993. He says, one of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it and believe it, then the rest of us will be embarrassed. The commands are so simple in the Bible And we complicate them so much. Usually just to find an excuse not to have to do them. So what are the commands to follow that we have in this passage? Glad you asked. So do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Verse 17. So don't be afraid. The command is to fear the one, be afraid of the one, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Improper fear is fearing man. Proper fear is understanding who God is. Do we really, and I I think this has made a difference in my life, is, is meditating on who God is. What are the attributes of God? And do I believe them? Do I believe that as his uh, son who's been adopted into his family as co-heirs with Christ that I have access to these attributes that he is alive and well and allowing me to operate to represent him or am I more concerned about what people will think of me? Improper fear is fearing man. Proper fear is understanding who God is. Then he continues. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Think of that for a second. He's He wants you to know the absolute worthlessness of sparrows. 
you can't even, like, the lowest amount of money, and they still have to offer a BOGO. Like, buy one, get one with these for a penny. He says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Uh, John Piper put it this way, that uh, think of a rainforest in South America, a rainforest that no man has ever been in. Now think of a tree, and on that tree, there is a bird who's lived a good, long life for a rainforest bird, and that bird dies and drops to the forest floor. God knows. God knows that that bird just died. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. He goes on, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If God cares for a worthless bogo bird, how much more does he care for you? I don't know if you've ever heard the old song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Um, I remember I was working at a drug rehabilitation center at the time, and um, this woman, Lynette, and Lynette had been um, a heroin addict for a very long time, and a prostitute in order to fund her habit. And Lynette came into the rehab center, and she ended up meeting Jesus. And she was there, she graduated the program, and at her graduation, I believe it was her graduation, uh, she really wanted me to come to her graduation, which was on Sunday mornings at their chapel service. And so I came in, and Lynette got up on stage, and Lynette was wearing short sleeves. And if you spend any time with addicts, uh, that's a big deal, because you can see all their scars and all their track marks uh, from her, I want to say, 15, 17-year addiction with heroin. And she got up, and she sang, His Eyes on the Sparrow so I know he watches me. And I can never hear this verse and think of that song again, the same. And here was Lynette for a long time, and just nobody cared about her. Her family had given up on her, everybody had given up on her, but she met Jesus. And she knew he was watching her her entire life. So that's what Jesus is letting them know. Hey, don't be afraid. I know what's going on with you. I know what you're doing. I love you. I care for you. I love you so much that I gave my son for you so we can have this relationship. And he finishes in 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So again, it's a tough question. This isn't people coming in, and I remember being a kid going, man, if, they, if these people came into church with guns and told me to deny my Savior, I wouldn't. But what do my everyday actions look like? Do I deny Jesus as my Savior in the way that I have conversations or worry more about what people think of me? I think we always jump to a violent ending of what that looks like to deny Christ, but how often do we deny him in our everyday actions, in our everyday conversations, in our everyday spent with time with him? So I want to ask the question, what is holding you back? What is holding you back? Think about that person we prayed for at the beginning. What has held you back up to this point of talking to Christ with them? 
Because there is a high cost to not obeying God. Our disobedience shows our lack of faith and our fear of what others think, our fear of man. I want to go back to the importance of prayer. What is your prayer life? We have the pi squared cards. Not in here, but we just ordered a bunch more. It's just a simple way of having five people that you're praying for. But we pray, but are we also inviting? Are we pray, but are we also um, uh, wanting to continue on in that relationship with them? Understand, stepping out in faith isn't easy, but it is necessary. Um, how do you face your fears? Siobhan, I didn't ask permission for this story, and I'm sorry. But last night... I did from rock, so it's all good. Uh, last night, um, we were over at the Hague's house. We just stopped by, and Siobhan was moving earthworms from one pile of dirt into the garden. And so Bodhi was all about helping her. He was all in. Uh, and then Rock jumps out and says, I want to help too. And so he goes up, and uh, Siobhan picks up a worm, and he goes, actually, which is a word he says a lot, actually, I think I'm scared of worms. And Siobhan said, well, sometimes we need to face our fears. And I think he said, how do you do that? And she said, put your hand out. Worm in the hand. <laughs> and so he did. He walked over to the garden and put it, put it in the garden. He faced his fears. <laughs> um, also about rock, and, and I say this almost as a, a guilty father, but every morning as we drive into his school, there's a big retaining pond. And so uh, trying to think of ways to like spend more time praying. I, the first day of school, I said, hey, buddy, this is the praying pond. Every time we come to school, we're going to pray when we get to the pond. And we pray for uh, one of his teachers is a believer, and the other one I don't believe is. And uh, we pray for all the kids in his class and the kids at school. And uh, so we pull in, and then one day he goes, Dad, can I have some of those? This is uh, tears of guilt. And I have a bunch of invite cards to the church on my dashboard. And he goes, can I have some of those to give to my friends? And my first thought was, oh, I don't want to waste them. And I was like, yeah, buddy, but let's just do, uh, how many do you want? And he says, just two. I said, all right. So I handed him two cards. And so he went in, and I picked him up from school, and he goes, I gave them to you, and he started giving me uh, the names. And then he gave them to his teachers. Before you know it, he had given an invite card to every student in his class. And uh, again, no prodding from me whatsoever, just this is what, it was an answer to prayer, it was an answer to our prayer every morning. And some of the other parents, the kids in his class started, um, the moms would text Tab and say, oh, you know, I am kind of, we looked up your church on the website, like we are interested. Uh, <laughs> one day Rock said, uh, so-and-so, I'm not going to use the name, so-and-so can't come to church. And I was like, oh, really, why? He goes, uh, his mom threw out the invite card. I was like, oh, they can still come. You don't need, like, it's not an admission ticket to get in. Uh, I thought, here is my five-year-old son learning valuable lessons of not everybody's going to come. Um, I went to a bowling birthday party with him, and a mom came up to me and said, uh, so you're the pastor of Hope Church? And I was like, yeah. She goes, yeah, my daughter came home with a card. We have a church, but uh, we're so excited um, that there's another believer in her classroom um, with a fam. So, um, so yeah, Rock, I believe, invited 36 kids and two teachers with invite cards. He learned a valuable lesson that not everyone's going to come. In fact, 
There still has yet to be anybody that came to church for it. But we were uh, driving to school this last week is what made me think of it. And he just said, hey, you don't have any more invite cards. Can we get more invite cards? Yeah, but I can get more invite cards. So he might be scared of earthworms, but that kid, he invites people to church. So where does that leave you? Randy Smith says, he's a pastor, he says, so do you have an unhealthy fear that is robbing your joy and paralyzing your walk with Christ? If so, accept full responsibility for your fear. Recognize your fear is self-centered and ask for God's forgiveness. Renew your thinking in line with what Scripture teaches. Replace the unrighteous fear of man with a righteous fear of God. Commit yourselves to loving God and loving others. I want to finish with um, another passage from Ephesians, and it's this prayer that Paul prays for the believers in, in Ephesus. I think it's a prayer that we need to pray for each other and a prayer that we need to pray for ourselves in Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray tonight that because of your power that we will be filled with an understanding of just how much you love us. And that that love that you have shown for all of us, Lord, the love that you loved us with so much that you sent your son to die for us, that that love would be so overwhelming that it changes the way that we approach our relationship with you every week, that it would change the way that we view the world around us, that we would be filled with love and compassion that can only come from you so that we can see others enter into that relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would just be so in love with you that what others think of us just doesn't matter. Lord, I pray for all the different people that aren't here this evening, that the people that are here have been praying for tonight. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength that only you can provide, that they would be willing, as Rock put out his hand, that they would be willing to take that step of faith to obey you, trusting that it would be through the Holy Spirit they will know what to say. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.